Good morning. Our Sunday School lesson this Sunday is the Canaanite woman, or in the Gospel of Mark, she's called the Syrophoenician woman. The same woman, she's her daughter is possessed by a demon. Jesus comes up to the area where she lives, and she seeks him out to get his help to heal her daughter. There are only two times in the scripture where Jesus praises someone's faith. Both are Gentiles, that is, non-Israelites, non-Jews. Uh, one is this Syrophoenician woman, and the other is the Centurion of Capernaum. It's a reminder to us that very often we, people like us who have received the gospel even from a very young age and have had it our whole lives, people like the Jews who grew up with God's word, often take God's word and God's promises for granted and don't treasure it the way that we ought to. But those who come to faith later in life know the emptiness, the vanity, the, the guilt of sin, the legalism of other religions, and treasure, rejoice greatly in the gift of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus gives to them. Kind of like the blind man from John chapter 9. We heard about him last Sunday in church. There is another example of a man born without sight. And when he received it again was overjoyed. We often take our sight for granted. Most of us uh, have had it our whole lives. Uh, we take it for granted. Perhaps some of us uh, maybe lose it later in life and realize what a treasure or a gift it was then. But that blind man received it. He was born without it and received it and was so overjoyed uh, to receive it. The same thing is true about this Canaanite woman born apart from God's people, but learning the gracious promises of God. She rejoices in those promises and her faith. Jesus praises when he doesn't praise any of the faith of the Jewish or Israelite people. In fact, he often bemoans how small their faith is. We can compare the Canaanite or Syrophoenician woman even to Jesus' disciples, uh, even to uh, Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary and Martha were good believers. Uh, they trusted in Jesus. But remember when their, when their brother Lazarus died, they say to Jesus, if you had only been here. Their faith is small because they well first of all they think jesus has to come to the place in order to heal lazarus and second of all they they fail to believe that jesus can even heal lazarus from the dead the faith of this woman is greater and we're going to see that in our lesson today law and gospel uh, those of us who have the gospel since birth often take it for granted and fail to treasure it as we should this woman who was born outside of God's people truly treasured the gift that she received in Christ Jesus. Gospel, God's promises are ours in Christ Jesus. We are not of God's people. We are not Israelites or Jews. We are Gentiles like this woman. And uh, so we are the dogs that Jesus is talking about in this account. And yet his grace and his love and his mercy is given to us just as it was given to this woman. Alternatively, you could go also the way of prayer this account also teaches us a lot about prayer a long gospel in that case would be at times god seems to rebuff our prayers and not listen to us and in our weakness we sometimes give up because it doesn't seem like god is 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 listening but the gospel is god's word promises us that god will hear us 
and encourages us to be bold to ask and to continue to ask in Jesus' name. Matthew 15, verse 21, that Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus leaves uh, the area of Galilee for the area near Tyre and Sidon. This is up to the northwest of Capernaum. Certainly can get out the map and show the kids. Uh, Phoenicia was a, a little small area along the coast uh, that included the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were ancient, very old cities, very for a long time very prosperous and important cities. Uh, you hear about them even back in Genesis uh, throughout the Old Testament. For example, Jezebel King Ahab's wife, right, was the daughter of the king of Sidon. So the, the city of Sidon was a very important, very strong ally to King Ahab. He's a wicked king, but nevertheless, there's a connection there as well. During the time of Joshua, when the, the people of Israel came into the promised land and drove the Canaanites out, some of the Canaanites were driven up north and resettled in this area that uh, used to be called Phoenicia. Uh, so here we have a Canaanite woman, a descendant from those people that were driven out of the land of Israel so that the, the chosen people of God could, could have that land. But now she's living up north uh, near Tyre and Sidon. This area is, is also called well, in math, sorry, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, she is called the Syrophoenician and a Greek. So here in Matthew, she's called a Canaanite. In Mark, she's called a Greek and a Syrophoenician. Syrophoenicia was the area, like I mentioned before, this area, this used to be the nation of Phoenicia, and then next to it was the nation of, of Syria. But under the Roman Empire, those two nations had been combined into one region that had been renamed Syrophoenicia. So this is what the Gospel of Mark is referring to. She was born in the region of Syrophoenicia. Mark's, Mark calling her a Greek could have been a reference to the language she spoke. She probably spoke Greek. Jesus and his disciples probably spoke Greek as well. It could also simply be a reference to the fact that she was not a Jew. The term Greek is sometimes used in the New Testament uh, to refer to the Gentiles, those who are not Israelites, those who are not Jews. Uh, the Gospel of Mark only uses the term this one time. So if Mark used that term elsewhere for, for the, the non-Jewish people, we don't know. But it certainly is used that way elsewhere in the New Testament. So all three are true. She is a Canaanite. She is from the area of Syrophoenicia. Uh, she is a Greek in the sense that she is not a Jew. This Canaanite woman cries out to Jesus, verse 22. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Jesus probably went up to this area as a chance to get away from the crowds. Maybe he needed a bit of a rest. Possibly also he wanted some time to teach his disciples without being interrupted. We know that there were other times when he attempted to do this. Uh, he attempted to go to a deserted area. He attempted to go up a mountain in order to be alone with his disciples. Very often it didn't work out. Very often the people knew where Jesus went and crowds came out to see him. And here as well, he attempts to get out of, Gen uh, out of Galilee uh, 
um, hoping to get some rest, hoping to get some time alone with his disciples. But even here in the area near Tyre and Sidon, people had heard about him. And this woman in particular had heard about him and comes to him for help and for mercy. Notice two things about what this woman says. Uh, first of all, she calls him Lord, son of David. So this woman was not unfamiliar with the Old Testament. She knew that the Messiah would come from the line of David. She knew the Old Testament prophecies. And she saw Jesus as the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. She uses a term that refers to him as the Messiah, the one who would come from the line of David. And she also calls him, O Lord, uh, indicating that she herself was a believer. She was accepting Jesus as her Lord and as her master. Very often in the New Testament, Jesus is called rabbi, teacher. That term recognizes him as a good teacher, but doesn't necessarily call him as a personal savior, right? To call Jesus a teacher, you, you recognize he's a smart man, a uh a prophet, something like that, but doesn't recognize his place in your heart. But this term, this woman, is calling Jesus her Lord, recognizing him as her Messiah and as her Savior. And she cries out to him, have mercy on me. She also recognizes that she doesn't deserve anything from him, but falls on his mercy, on his grace. And of course, that's the way we also ought to approach God in prayer, confessing our sins, recognizing that God, <clears throat> that we deserve nothing from God, but that through Jesus Christ and through his promises, God has had mercy on us and has promised to continue to have mercy upon us. You can think back to the story of the, the centurion and his servant was sick, the centurion of Capernaum, and think of how the Jews approach Jesus in that case, not the centurion himself, but the Jews come to Jesus and they say, look, he's a good man. He built a synagogue. He deserves this. So at that time, the Jews approach Jesus in that legalistic mind frame. Well, yeah, he's a Gentile, but he still deserves uh, your your help and your mercy. But this woman doesn't doesn't come to Jesus on the basis of what she deserves, but comes to him only on his mercy. Verse 23 but he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Jesus' lack of response may surprise us. It seems really mean for Jesus to do that. But doesn't Jesus often seem to lack response to our prayers as well? And so Jesus is using this opportunity to teach his disciples and us a lesson. He's also using it to test and strengthen the woman's faith. But he's using it to teach us a lesson, the same lesson he tries to teach us in the parable of the friend knocking at midnight. Uh, don't give up just because Jesus doesn't seem to answer on the first knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Jesus was not was testing her faith, but not only testing her faith, but through that testing, strengthening it. The Sunday school material that you have likens it to pulling on a knot. Uh, you make a knot in a rope and you pull on it and that makes it nice and tight. So Jesus here is pulling on her faith to make it stronger, to make it greater, to make it bolder. And indeed, it does do that. We see how the woman grows in faith even in this little, little interaction with Jesus. Isaiah 54 verse 8 reminds us, With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you. So sometimes Jesus 
turns his face from us or at least seems to turn his face from us for a little bit in order to strengthen our faith in order to remind us of his everlasting kindness that's for a little bit in order that he might give us that everlasting love and certainly that's true with this woman as well the disciples come and urge jesus send her away for she cries out after us Jesus's response to the disciples seems to imply that the disciples are asking Jesus to heal her daughter. Heal her daughter so that she'll go away. That's not exactly said in the text, but that seems to be what the disciples are implying. They want Jesus to heal to heal her, but not necessarily for a good reason, right? They just want to get rid of her. Jesus has something better, something greater in store for her. He doesn't want to just get rid of her. He wants to remind her of his love and strengthen her in faith. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus indeed was sent to Israel first, but not to Israel only. And that's going to become clear as we go through this account. Jesus mentions the fact that he was sent first to the lost sheep, but in a minute we're going to see how he also acknowledges that his salvation and his messiahship is not only for the people of Israel. This was true from the very beginning. You go back to the promise that was given to Abraham. God promised that through Abraham would come the messiah, but he also promised Abraham in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so it was clear from the beginning that that Messiah was not for Israel only, but for all the world. It was given to the Israelites first. Remember Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, uh, reminded her salvation is of the Jews. God's word and God's promises was given to them first. Jesus came to them first. He told the disciples to preach to them first, but it was not to them only from them it went out to the whole world and to us as well jesus uh, when he instructed his disciples to be his witnesses he said you will be my witnesses to jerusalem and judea but then also he goes on to samaria and to the whole world so even though it's true that jesus was sent first to israel he was not sent only to israel and we're going to see that even in jesus's own words in a minute Verse 25 through 27. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So you see this woman's great faith that even when it sounds like Jesus is sending her away, rebuking her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, she doesn't give up, but clings to his grace and his mercy. She comes back, Lord, help me. Uh, do not forget forsake me. Jesus responds with this saying about the, the dogs. And at first, this may sound like a very great insult. Uh, he calls her a dog. And to some extent, there there is a, a insult in there. It's not nice to call people dogs. But actually, from this woman's perspective, what Jesus says here may have actually been an encouragement rather than an insult. The Jews often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. They, they certainly would have called this woman a dog. Uh, they were not shy in saying that to their faces. But there's a difference in the word that the Jews usually used and the word that Jesus uses here. The word that the Jews would have normally used for the for the Gentiles when referring to them as dogs would have been the word for a wild street dog, one that you kick out of your way, you certainly don't let into your house. 
Jesus uses a different word here. He uses a word that means a little puppy, maybe, is the best way to translate it. It implies a, a family pet, one that is allowed to come into the house and is kept in the house and maybe even sits on your lap. And so from this woman's perspective, especially in comparison to the way the Jews treated the Gentiles and maybe even especially the Canaanites, given their history with them, this may have actually been an encouragement to her. There is a crumb of God's love in, in, in Jesus's words that he is not calling her a street dog, which deserves to be kicked out of the house, but instead a pet or a lap dog, which is brought into the house and sits on the lap of its master. And the woman certainly keys in on that and grasps hold of that little bit of mercy, that little bit of promise, which she sees in Jesus's words, because she says, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. If Jesus had used that other word, a wild street dog, then she would not have had the right to say, well, they eat the crumbs, uh, they're in the house. No, they, they would not have been. But because Jesus uses this other term, uh, the, the house dog, the pet, she grasps that promise that is there in that word she sees it and grasps it and says yes let me be the lapdog let me be the one who sits and eats the crumbs uh, that the kids don't want anymore this woman shows humility she doesn't get upset with jesus calling her a dog she knows that she is that she is a sinner she comes to jesus on the basis of being a sinner lord have mercy on me and she also shows great faith in clinging to that promise, noticing it. She sees it in Jesus's words and clings uh, to it. And that's the very essence of faith. This woman is just like Jacob. Uh, remember Jacob who struggled with the Lord, wrestled with the Lord, and then won by clinging to his promises. This woman does the same thing. She struggles with Jesus in our text, but then wins by clinging to his promises. Yes, Lord, let me be the little lap dog. And Jesus answered to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus deals with this woman in a way that's very different from the way he deals with other people who come to him asking for help. And part of that is because Jesus knows the hearts. Everyone he deals with differently because he deals with us as individuals. We might sometimes get upset like, well, why is God doing this to me and, and, and not doing this to, my, to this other person at church or this other person? You know, why me, O oh Lord? But the Lord deals with us as individuals. He knows what each one of us needs and what each one of us can handle and how to strengthen each one of us uh, in faith to him. He deals with us as individuals as he deals with this woman. But also he sees in this woman an opportunity to teach us a lesson as well as to teach his disciples a lesson about clinging to his promises and about treasuring the gospel that we have, uh, not despising or, or taking it for granted uh, just because we've known it our whole life. The Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. As always, give me a call if you have any questions.